We thank you for today. I trust that our hearts are indeed that thankful. I know that there's a whole lot that may be distracting us in our own minds as the week has gone on. And here we are at the beginning of a new week. And you have set apart this day that you would be the eternal and ultimate focus of everything we do. And so I trust that that's our heart's desire to set everything else aside to cause our minds and our hearts to be focused solely on worship. Worship of you from hearing from you, discussing with one another these principles and truths about parenting, discipleship in the home. So we thank you for that. Ask your blessing upon it. That you would be ultimately glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, this morning we want to uh, begin lesson four, which is on the whole subject of discipline. Discipline. We've talked about our, our priorities. We've talked about our goals. We've talked about our motivations and the challenges that come from those things. And to, as Today, I want to begin this whole reality of our roles, our roles, because as parents, grandparents, those who are disciplers, which is what we are, we're on a mission, right? We, like Paul said to the Corinthian church, we are ambassadors. We're, we're those sent by Christ as ambassadors for Christ in every area of life, no matter what it is. We cannot partition our lives off and consider Christ to not be part of that. Oftentimes we think of our lives like that without even recognizing it, where we partition our Christianity off to one spoke of the wheel rather than being the central part of the wheel itself, and everything else revolves in and through that. So as parents, being an ambassador for Christ partly means that we are to be a faithful steward of the very principles that God has given us in His Word to bring up our children, to bring up those who God has given us to disciple. And so we are called to direct our children to be reconciled to God, those who need to know Jesus Christ, and then therefore from a relationship with God to serve Him. So this journey, I guess, that we're on, this direction, takes a whole lot of different roles. And one of those roles is us as disciplinarians. Disciplinarians. Remember our overarching passage that we've returned to from time to time through our study, Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the phraseology used in that passage where it says, bring them up, we understand as we looked in the past, it is an active, continuous command. Something we have to be involved in and something that is continuous. And we also said that discipline is really best explained under the title of training. Training. Um, 
And that includes all kinds of different techniques or tools, if you will. Uh, it might include rules. It might include restrictions. It might include some kind of guideline that you would give to those under your care, maybe a system of rewards, corrections, whatever it might be. Those are all tools used in discipline. Now, we live in a world where the so-called experts who come to their conclusions by simply observation, by watching, will tell us that discipline is harsh. Discipline is not good. Discipline is out of date. And in fact, they even tell parents that they're not proficient to do that job. They don't know enough. So what kind of trust can we put in the results that are uh, observed or the conclusions made by those who are sinful studying sinful people? I mean, sinful man looking at sinful people and coming to conclusions about what might be right for those sinful people. Uh, what trust can we put in that? Their contradictions and conclusions contradict the clear teaching of Scripture, because Scripture certainly doesn't say that parents are ill-equipped or ill-proficient to do the job. In fact, Let's just go through a few verses just to kind of help us with this. Proverbs 13.24. Just to kind of let us see this idea. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So right there in Proverbs chapter 13 is this reality that discipline is an expression of love, which in many ways is opposite what the world tells us. The world tells us discipline isn't love at all. Um, and and the word discipline, by the way, there means really a, a, a structure. He who loves him brings structure into that reality. Rod is this is a, a measure, if you will, a, a measure of discipline or the structure of discipline. So if you don't have discipline in their lives, you according to the Bible, hate them. Proverbs 19, verse 18. It says, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Discipline in the life of those whom God has given us is to desire life for them. To not discipline them, to let them go without that, is to really desire their death. Those are pretty strong words. You hate them. You desire their death. If you don't discipline, look at Proverbs 23, 
Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Verse 14. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. My wife and I used to jokingly say that was our children's life verse when they were young. Though you beat them, surely they will not die. Um, And certainly they got their share of chastisement. Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way Bring shame to his mother. So look at what he's, verse 17. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. It's interesting to go to the grocery store sometimes and watch the checkout line with a young child and a mother. Certainly, It's hard to bring discipline in the way that maybe some children need it in the public square because the public square has no toleration for any of that. And yet you certainly see verse 15 being lived out, right? The child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Mothers give in very often under the pressure of a screaming child in the checkout line because they... Don't want to have to put up with it. Well, we can't we can't ignore those passages. We cannot ignore what the Bible says simply because our culture doesn't like it. Simply because those in the public square will be against it or look at us in a way that that we might not appreciate being looked at. Others come along and say that discipline is, you know, if you discipline uh, firmly or the way it seems to say in the Bible, they might even say it that way, then people will just turn out bad. But we, we certainly can understand this, that how someone is disciplined is no excuse for how they turned out. In other words, we can't blame who we are as adults on how our parents treated us as children. Certainly, those things have their place, and we're not to abuse, and yet at the same time, we can't blame how we respond sinfully on somebody else's actions in my life. I'm held accountable for me. So so what I want to do this morning is just begin maybe going through the first half of this this lesson and look at why discipline may not be so effective. Why discipline in life or those who say, well, I discipline, but it doesn't seem to be working. Remember, we're not to be results oriented anyway, but we but here's some reasons why some of it may not be helping. And and the first thing we want to look at is characteristics of unbiblical discipline. 
some characteristics of unbiblical discipline. Unbiblical discipline, as opposed to biblical discipline, which we'll probably get to next week, only because of time. But unbiblical discipline, number one, depends excessively on controlling the one who's being disciplined. In other words, it, it's, its ultimate thing is control. Control. In other words, this is too much discipline without instruction. Right? Proverbs 29, verse 15, right? Rod and reproof give wisdom. That's discipline and instruction. That's just another way of saying Ephesians 6, 4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Too much rod without a balance of reproof. Right? Correction alone doesn't produce the kind of change that we ought to be desiring in our young people in the home. Why? Because we want to build in our children inner convictions. Inner convictions. Remember I said we don't want to isolate, we want to insulate. This is Inner convictions is insulation. We want to build into our disciples in the home insulation, inner convictions, just as Ephesians 6, 4 gives us that balance, discipline and biblical instruction. So we, we don't neglect correction, but we also must be teaching. There has to be a balance between those, correction and teaching. Unbiblical discipline depends excessively on control, and control just comes through power, power over you without any teaching. In other words, when we're, when we're disciplining somebody, we might discipline and then give instruction to them and say, okay, next time this situation happens, what is it God would desire you to do? How would God desire you to respond? That's now a balance between we discipline, we deal with the issue discipline-wise, but we instruct. We drive back to the Word of God to build in them inner convictions, hoping to, hoping to get them to the place where they realize that they can't do it on their own that they can't please God as you're saying they ought to, which is the opportunity for the gospel, right? None of us. That's where we all have to get. The place where we realize I can't do it. This is all, I, I fail all the time. And that's a good place to be because then we're softened for the gospel. So why is it that then that or, or what is it that this excessive, unbiblical discipline produce? What does it produce? What does out-of-balance discipline produce? Well, one, it provokes children to rebel. It provokes children to rebel. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Fathers, do not provoke 
your children to anger, right? When children are provoked to anger, they lose hope. They lose hope, right? I wonder how it would be in the Christian church or in Christianity if, if God was always changing what the rules were what the boundaries were. They were always changing. We never, we never knew what they were. They changed at a whim. Simply to accommodate whatever whim the controller wanted. That would be very frustrating. It would be very, uh, it would cause us to be angry. I mean, we see some of that in one sense, even going on in our own society in the, government and what's going on in our society today with rulers over us. It seems as if the rules are always changing. People are frustrated even today under the COVID rules because the COVID rules seem to change every minute, depending on where you're at or who, whatever, whose whim is being served in the moment. Everybody's frustrated and angry because there's no consistency. There's no balance. So out-of-balance discipline does that. It provokes to anger, but it also prevents the development of inner convictions. It prevents the development of inner convictions. When, when young people get their way or get away or, or outside of the structure of the home, outside of the, the power centers that are able to kind of control their life, what happens? Oftentimes we see it. What do they do? They follow after the way they want to go. They have nothing that, no ability to discern what is right or wrong. Rather than the, go the way they should go, they go the way they should not go. Why? Because no inner convictions have ever been developed just been a system of control. As long as I can control the situation, as long as I'm powerful over you and I can control it to my ends, then everything seems to be good for me. But you're not developing anything in the child. Rather, we need to be like Philippians, right? Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Why would they do that? Inner convictions. Paul had a loving relationship with them of discipline and instruction, and it bore out fruit even when he wasn't there. So I want, I want those under my care, I want those who I disciple to do what is right even when I'm not around. You want your kids to do what's right when you're not around. So you have to ask yourself, is my correction balanced? Is it balanced with teaching? Now, of course, we're going to get into this in a few lessons, but of course, and you probably have questions at what age do you start having those discussions? I mean, you know, your three-year-old is not going to understand 
the principles of scripture in the way maybe your eight-year-old will. So you gotta, there's, there's challenges with all of that. At the same time, you can be giving instruction. Or are you depending just simply on controlling them? And it really doesn't matter what's going on when you're not around. <clears throat> you want to you want to know what a good indicator is of how your training's going with your children in the home? How do they act when they're not around you? How do they live? What do they do when they're with your friends? You're not around. What's their reputation when you're out of the place? See, if you're if other people are saying to you, your kids always seems to be out of line, not doing what they ought to be doing, you ought to think about that. Think about it humbly, carefully. So unbiblical discipline then really depends excessively on controlling your child. But also unbiblical discipline disciplines in uncontrolled anger. Unbiblical discipline disciplines in uncontrolled anger. Just returning back to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, verse 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Proverbs 16, verse 32. Gives us the opposite, right? He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Quick temper, foolish. Slow to anger, wise. So just from that, we can draw the implication that, that explosive parents are never good disciplinarians. Explosive parents are never good disciplinarians. Why? Because they're inconsistent inconsistency. The same offenses don't have the same response all the time. So whatever gets me to the boiling point. The worst response may be when you or I are angry over issues involving something or uh, something separate from the person who's doing the offense. For instance, you come home from a hard day at work and you're mad. You're just irritated at life and you explode, but it has nothing to do with that, really. It has everything to do with your own irritation in your heart before you even got home. So we have to be on guard against that. We have to be on guard against taking out unresolved anger on our own young people. We have to be forgiving, not bitter. I remember years ago when I was trying to figure out what it meant to 
have kids in my home and things like that. My brother said to me, I said, I'm, I get so irritated sometimes when I'm, you know, at work because work's hard or whatever and drive home. You know, all I want to do is sit down and just rest for a while, have some silence, come home and it's just chaos. My brother said to me one time, he said, yeah, he said, that's, that's certainly a struggle. He said, what I've tried to do is just pray on my drive home, however long that was, Lord, help me, help me deal with the situation as a, as a place of service, not as a place that served me. Let my response be one of designed to serve them rather than to get from them. And that was helpful. It was helpful. Didn't change the noise level. Didn't change anything about work. The whole thing was in the heart, an issue of the heart. What do I want from those whom God has placed in my life? Do I want to serve or not? Number three. Number three. Unbiblical discipline disciplines just because those we're discipling are inconvenient to us at the time. It's an inconvenience. The goal, our goal is to be training those under our care because they're lost, not because we're selfish and our own things are not being taken care of. It goes all the way back to that service issue, doesn't it? We don't, sometimes we get into those modes. We don't discipline unless it gets to a certain level where it bothers me enough. I won't ask for a show of hands if you've ever thought that, but surely you've thought that if you're a parent. Get to the point where it's irritated you enough, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, we use phrases like, I'm not going to tell you that again. Right? We do that. I know some of you are smiling because you know you said that this morning. You might have said it to your husband or wife. I'm not going to tell you that again. <laughs> That's how we act. And then when it gets to that certain point, we explode. We can't do that. Unbiblical discipline number four, disciplines without a balance of encouragement. Encouragement. Notice what the Bible says, Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> this is where we must go for our answers to all of life because we really have none. Romans 13, verse 7, render to all what is due them. Tax to tax, custom to custom, fear to fear, honor to whom honor is due. Encouragement, give honor where it's due. And I will say this, we don't give honor where it's not due. This is one of the things the world has failed at, right? Everybody gets a trophy today. Everybody gets honored just for participating. Well, that's not how God deals with it. You give honor where honor's due, not where it's not due. Well, we need to do that in the home. 
Listen, our children need to know how to lose gracefully. You need to know how to lose gracefully. First Thessalonians 5.14 says we're to encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Hebrews 10.25 says provoke one another. That, that really is a word for encourage. Encourage. It's easier to criticize than it is to praise. Make it a habit. Make it a habit in your life to praise first. Praise first. You want you, you you see your child doing something that's right? Tell them you noticed that. Let them know you noticed. It's a valuable motivation for those under our care to do the right thing. Helps. And your children will be different. They'll respond differently to that. I don't know about you, but you know, in my home with the three that we had, they all were different in reference to that. Some needed more encouragement and some needed less. But they all enjoyed encouragement. Any questions so far? I lulled you all to sleep? No? All right, number five. Number five, unbiblical discipline thinks that discipline is going to hinder the creativity and potential of the one you're discipling. And of course, that all depends upon who defines creativity. Right? The world, the world says anything's creative, right? It doesn't matter what kind of noise it is. It doesn't matter what kind of you know, blob of paint is thrown at the wall. That's creativity, you know? So, like I said before, everybody gets a trophy. Creativity and potential are actually enhanced through discipline. Proverbs 29.15, A child left to himself will bring his mother shame. So when you discipline, it enhances creativity. It enhances potential. How many of you have ever met a world-class pro athlete who got there without discipline? They're just born that way. I don't know of any. Even those who were born with with God-given skills still didn't get to the highest levels without discipline. Just doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Right? Even the athlete, Paul said to Timothy, is disciplined and gets there by following the rules. Does what's right. Right. So, number six. Number six, unbiblical discipline thinks discipline is going to warp the person being disciplined. I said it before, our world believes that 
discipline is actually unloving. And that because it's unloving, it leads to an insecurity in the person who is under it. And so if that's the case, they say the result is that you're going to potentially raise up someone who's going to be abusive and cruel, someone who's going to be outside the norms of social realities. Like I gave the example, I think, last week of Ted Bundy or Charles Manson or any of those kinds of people who blamed their murderous activities on their parents. The reason I do this is because I was abused as a child. We hear that all the time. It's not their fault. They're not, they're a victim. And the victim mentality is that rampant uh, increase in our day. But the Bible teaches that the greatest problems occur when there's no structure, when there's nothing that hems anybody in. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. In other words, you don't, by not doing something, create foolishness and foolish things and foolish activity in the heart of a child. No, the heart of a child is filled with foolishness. It's bound up in the heart of a child And the one thing that creates structure, the one thing that creates the reality that doesn't warp them is the rod of discipline. The rod of discipline removes it far from them. Structure, boundaries, areas that they're known and they can be in. In fact, it was interesting years ago, I think it was in Chicago, psychologists did a study with playground children because some expert drove by and saw the children uh, sad that there was a fence around the playground. How dare we cage these poor little children in? They don't know what to do. I mean, we need to remove the fence. And so through some government means, they removed the fence of this park And when they drove by the next time, they saw the children and all the children were huddled on the, on the uh, merry-go-round in the middle. None of them were playing with anything else. Why? Because the fence gave them a boundary. They knew how far they could go. Without a boundary, they didn't know where they could go. They all just huddled in the middle. Listen, boundaries are good. Boundaries are needed. They're necessary. Structure's needed. It helps us learn where we can operate. Listen, that's what the scriptures are for us as Christians, isn't it? It's a boundary. Here's where you can operate. Here's where it's right for you to operate. And we live within that and we are blessed. Go outside of that, what happens? Hebrews 12, God disciplines those whom he loves. Yeah.
partly. The rod is, is a standard. That, that was a standard of measurement, right? In the ancient days, that's what it was. It was a standard of measurement. And so when it speaks of the rod, it's talking about a standard, a structure, a, a measurement. You have to have a system of measurement and a system of, of control when it comes to discipline. And all kinds of things are in that, right? I said tools, and there's all kinds of tools within that. There's restrictions. There's uh, obviously chastisement is part of that. Um, but that, that's what he's talking about, talking about the structure of it all. That, that brings that to bear, right? This, this structure, so in verse 15, chapter 20, uh, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, 15, the rod, this, this structure, this uh, whole principle, if you will, of structure and discipline, right? We know discipline is directional. It has a, a reason why it's doing what it's doing and that those means are in place. So this whole structure of discipline, helps to remove and removes foolishness from the heart of the, of the person who is out of line. So structure produces great security. There's security for us in that. When limits are known, it becomes simple for us to avoid the problems that come with exceeding those limits. Right? If you don't know the limits, then you don't know where the out-of-bounds mark is. By the way, do you ever understand why in the professional baseball league, why a batter, the first batter gets in the batter's box? What do they do? Pete. They go like this with their foot and remove the line. Why? Why, Pete? More subjective because the rule says what? You, when you're batting, you can't step outside the batter's box. When you swing, you have to swing within the batter's box. To step out of it is against the rules. But they remove the line. And, and most of the time, they remove the back line only because pitches are coming so fast, they want to get a little bit more time. And so they step and they move their foot outside the line. The umps never call it. Because there's no line there, and it could be disputed, and now it's become just the thing. And this is part of the thing. When laws have no teeth, they're not laws. What's the point? And so that's why they do it. They do it to blur the line. Structure gives us security. Listen, you want to have a practical example? Go down to the... Go down to the center of Chester and take the light in the middle of the center of Chester and spin it 90 degrees. You want to see chaos? Chaos would ensue, right? Because the rules were yellow this way, red this way. You spin that. Now it's everything's changed. We don't know where we're at. We thought we were on 102, but maybe I'm on 121. I don't know where I'm at. See, that's what happens. Or, like when I went to Australia, I'd never driven on the other side of the road, and I got off the airplane after flying 14 hours, got in a car, and started out on the highway. And I was driving on the other side of the highway. I mean, that was like freaking me out. I'm on the other side of the car. My steering wheel's over here. I mean, I was like, whoa, whoa. 
And I was there three weeks. I still would turn into the wrong side of the road when I'd make a turn onto a side street. I mean, it was weird. Well, that's what happens. That's what would happen if suddenly the rule changed and we drove on the other side. We would be freaking out. Structure helps. Structure helps control desires in people. Number eight, or number seven, unbiblical discipline neglects timely correction. It neglects timely correction. Proverbs 19, verse 18 says, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. In fact, it's even more clear, I think, in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, laws without teeth, because it's not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Now, I don't know what your views are on the death penalty here in our country, but Certainly, if our system worked as it ought to work, we would have less people who would do heinous crimes. So don't delay discipline. Why? Because waiting until waiting until our young people become ingrained in something is not going to help them. I know people, young families say sometimes, well, I'm just not going to start disciplining my child until they're a little older because they really don't understand. And I, I just cringe at that. It's as a pastor, as a father, as someone who disciplines I, and disciples, I, I cringe at that because if you wait until a habit's ingrained, you're way behind the power curve. You're way behind. In fact, as Proverbs says, you desire their worst You'll have a very difficult time breaking bad habits than you would if you started early to help them in good habits. Number eight, number eight, unbiblical discipline withholds the use of the rod. Withholds the use of of the rod. Now I'm using rod there specifically as a vital tool for uh, encouraging others through um, unnatural consequences. You say unnatural consequences. Sure. Because if my child, if I say to someone in my home who's young, don't run in the house, you're going to hurt or break something or hurt yourself. And my child does that and falls and hits their head on the corner of a table and breaks their head open. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to enlist some kind of physical chastisement upon them for doing that. The natural consequence of their actions shows them why they shouldn't do that. Right. You've given instruction and they've broken the rule and God by his grace has given them natural consequences, which caused them to go, man, I don't think I'm going to do that again. Whereas, whereas I might have to bring unnatural consequences, i.e. a rod to their backside 
to enlist an unnatural pain in their life in order to help them understand why they should not do that. Unbiblical discipline withholds the rod. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol, from death. So do not hold back from disciplining physically. Now this is harder and harder and harder in our day because we have so many people who consider any of that a problem and therefore you can have people call social services on you just for spanking your child. That's a sad thing that we have to deal with in our society, but it, it happens. And yet we have to follow what the Bible says, right? Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So the world says it's loving to not chastise. The world says it's loving to not do that. And yet, one who has genuine love for their young people in the home, who withholds that, according to the Word of God, is a parent who really hates them. God says if we don't discipline our children, we hate them. So the rod and reproof, Proverbs 29.15 says, the rod and reproof, discipline and instruction give wisdom. We know what wisdom is, right? It's the beginning of wisdom that is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is skillful living, living out the principles that were taught. But a child that gets his own way brings shame to his mother. So don't let them get their own way. Don't let them get their own way. It's not good. So if we were to summarize all those, discipline is unbiblical when it depends excessively on correction without a balance of instruction. It's done in anger or with selfish motives. It's done without balance of praise, encouragement, or is delayed, or if the rod of discipline is completely withheld. It's unbiblical. That's pretty striking, isn't it? It's pretty striking. Some years ago, I, I took my Bible and I wrote in the back, I went through Proverbs, just the first nine chapters actually. I went through Proverbs and wrote down all the ways that a fool, actually through all of Proverbs, all the ways that acts of a fool, so that I could say, okay, that's not what I want to teach my kids. I don't want them to be a fool. And then I went through the, the first nine chapters of Proverbs and looked up what it says about teaching your kids, what a father is to do to teach. 
And there was probably, I don't know, 50, maybe 60 things. Here's what you ought to teach your kid. Um, it's a good practice for you to do. That is the book of wisdom. Uh, to go through that and see just what it is we're to do as disciplers, as parents, so that we aren't parents who are disciplining in an unbiblical way. I guess it's halfway through. We'll look at the biblical discipline next time, what it looks like. Um, are there any any questions? We've got about six, seven minutes. Any confessions? <laughs> Jason. Yeah. yeah. Each time I, I go through this material, just in review, I realize all the ways that I failed to implement anything that I've said. You know? um, and that's true. God's word is that. It's a constant reminder, which is why we need to be always in it. You know, good comment, Patty. Yeah, probably more for you than even for her, right? The, the it is for the for us. It's hard to do, right? I mean, this is your little cherub that you have that you you know, whatever. But you see the sinfulness of the heart, and and to follow what God says honors God. Whether it ever changed the child or not, he's satisfied that I I did what God asked me to do. Right? And faithfulness is the issue, right? That's what we said a couple lessons back. It's that we are to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Anything else? Susan? Nope. Right? Well, I want to discipline them in order to develop inner convictions in them. In other words, even if they're unsaved, I don't want them to be a, a, you know, a total absolute gone community reprobate where, where they just go about, you know, against everything. I at least want them to, to be a, a citizen in which they can, they can uh, not be hurting others. They're not, they may not be saved. I still have to try to bring the gospel to bear into that and pray that God would save them. And yet all those things that I'm doing in their life, even initially is directed at that. Every opportunity I have, all of them are opportunities for the gospel. So every time we used to always chastise in, in a private place in our home, in the, in the bathroom, because it was between them and either my wife and I and the Lord. And so we wanted, we didn't want the rest of the people involved with all that. And so every one of those opportunities was an opportunity to talk to them about 
why they do what they do. What's going on in your heart? The, the issues of the heart, which in that sense, we're building in them, hopefully some inner convictions about right and wrong. What is right? What is wrong? How I should live? How I should not live? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Because that's where our convictions are, are made. That's where they're solidified. Yeah. Henry. Really? I thought you were born in the zoo. So it was a it was a visual a visual It was a visual deal. Yep. Oh, listen. Yeah, every every adult in here who has kids will testify that your your children who you have been in your home forever, how long they are, know exactly where your limit is. They know exactly how far they can push till mom or dad's point, which means there are often times when we're not disciplining biblically because the point should be, here's the instruction, do it. And you don't do it, there's consequence. And yet laws without teeth are not laws. We have those all over our places in our homes and things like that because we're not willing because it takes effort. It's a lot of work. A lot of work to discipline and disciple somebody all the time, consistently, continuously, 24-7. Takes a lot of work. You just want to have a minute off. Okay, okay, enough, here. Right? We do that. Just remember when we're doing that, the Bible says when we're doing that, this is what God says, it's not Terry, I hate them. When you do that, you're not loving them. You're hating them. Just remember that. On that positive note, that's uh, closing prayer. Anthony, would you close us in a word of prayer? Thanks.